everyone, and welcome to Podcast by Committee, our second show headed into week four. Earlier this week, we talked with Dan Duggan, who covers the New York Giants. And today we are turning to another team that is uh, surprisingly intriguing through three weeks, the Detroit Lions and our beat writer who covers the Lions, Chris Burke. Chris, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, I got a strike while the iron's hot here. <laughs> don't always get the, the interest in the Lions into October, so... Take advantage of it. Yeah, definitely, and I'm not sure uh, if it's for sure going to last. So uh, we definitely want to <laughs> we definitely want to get you while the Lions are still an intriguing yeah. team. So happy to have you on here today as we head into uh, Week Four. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Burke. That is with an E on the end. B U R K E. NFL, Chris Burke NFL. Uh, so check him out there for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Chris also does a, 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 a NFL draft podcast that you'll uh, want to check out. It's called Prospects to Pros. It's Chris and Dane Brugler. They do two shows a week. One show on Tuesdays is free, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. The other one is only on The Athletic. So you'll have to subscribe for that one. And that leads me right to the fact that you can still get 40% off a subscription. Uh, check out theathletic.com slash podcast by committee, and you'll find yourself 40% off an annual subscription. Uh, you get uh, access to uh, Chris and Dane's uh, uh, paywall podcast of Prospects to Pros on Thursday, all of our podcasts, all of our great print coverage, uh, NFL, college football, baseball playoffs are just about to start, uh, the uh, NBA season just around the corner, so all of it right there at your fingertips if you get that subscription. And with that, we are now ready to talk about the Detroit Lions. Uh, Chris, did you see this uh, undefeated, you know, little asterisk undefeated start coming? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they'll They'll take undefeated. I think they'll accept it, even at two on one. I, I didn't. Um, I, I sort of told people when I was asked before the year. I thought if they could get through this first five game stretch, which looked pretty tough on paper, if they could get through it at two and three, I thought they had a chance to really hang around in the playoff race. And so they've already done half game better than that, I guess technically at two on one. I had included an Arizona win, you know, as part of those two wins in this five game stretch. So uh, I think it's been um, impressive for them to bounce back and, and beat the chargers and Eagles back to back, even though we know those teams are struggling a little bit right now, but yeah, I think they're feeling good about themselves and uh, they certainly haven't had a ton of opportunities in recent years to really have, you know, sort of a signature game on the schedule where, everyone's paying a little bit of attention to it. So to have the Chiefs coming in right now, uh, I, I think Sunday's Sunday's matchup should be pretty fun. I don't know if the Lions have enough to hang in there and win, but I think it'll be a fun matchup. You look at this team as a whole, and uh, yeah, they've run 66 plays per game. That ranks eighth in the NFL. I think a lot of that has to do, however, with that first game against Arizona. Uh, by far the fastest pace team in the NFL. Everyone who's playing Arizona is running a ton of plays in that game. Uh, and that one also went the full 10 minutes of overtime for Detroit. They ran 88 plays in that one. Take that out and just look at the last two games, and they've run 55 plays per game. Uh, if that were the case for the full season, they would rank 30th in the NFL. I'm guessing that it's more the latter of how this team's going to play going forward than the former. Yeah, uh, for sure. And those were both games, you know, the Chargers and Eagles that they were ahead early and able to really dictate the tempo for the most part and sort of stay on their terms. You know, the Chargers game, they had to come back late and, and win that game uh, with a drive in the fourth. But it was one that was uh, it was a slow paced game It was a low scoring game. And then the Eagles won. They were up 
um, and, and just trying to hold on and grind it out to the end. And I think that's really what they'd like to do most weeks. Um, they really don't like being compared to uh, the Patriots and what's going on in New England. But with this front office and with this coaching staff, it's sort of natural that a lot of things would transfer over. And they're trying to build an offense that, uh, you know, is kind of matchup proof and can go week to week and really control the time of possession and just control the tempo of the game. And so I think that is what they want to be, you know, 55 to maybe up to 60, 65 plays a game if they hit a groove and and get some things done through the air. But um, this is, unless they're behind, you know, I don't think this is ever going to be a team that really is just going uh, no huddle and, and pushing the pedal and trying to run play after play after play in a hurry. I think this is a team that is pretty comfortable in uh, that more sluggish routine. And I would expect them to stay there as long as things are going well. Yeah, we've seen that bear out if you look at their pass run splits as well. Uh, 55.5% pass rate, that's 25th in the NFL. And a neutral script pass rate also of 55% also of 25th in the NFL. Uh, listeners, if you know, not, not sure what that means, it's just a, a game within one score. So uh, when the when the Lions are you know, either down a touchdown or up a touchdown, anywhere in that window, um, they are passing it at 25th most often in the NFL. And that's something that uh, goes back uh, at least a little while here in Detroit. But I'm wondering how much of this is Daryl Bevel's influence? How much are we already seeing his imprint on the offense? I mean, I, I honestly think they'd like to be even closer to 50% in those neutral scripts. Um, I, I think that they have kind of gotten hamstrung by not being able to run the ball uh, quite as much as they were, at least as effectively as they would like to early in the year. So um, I think that that's sort of forced their hand a little bit. But yeah, for sure, this is this is definitely looking like a Daryl Bevel offense. And it's a little different than the Russell Wilson Daryl Bevel offense just because of the type of quarterback Matthew Stafford is, but you still see a lot of the same imprints, you know, a lot of inside zone reads and a lot of the, you know, play action passes and just getting the ball in the space. But also I think uh, taking some shots downfield, we've seen Matthew Stafford do that more this year than he did last year. So it's a better fit for what, again, just sort of what the overall philosophy is of this coaching staff. It never really meshed last year with Matt Patricia and Jim Bob Cooter, and then, you know, the Lions traded Golden Tate, and Marvin Jones got hurt, and Carrie Ann got hurt, and it all kind of fell apart. But I think just in terms of the way Daryl Bevel calls games and runs his scheme, it definitely fits more with uh, what this team and what this offense want to be. Does that have any fit in terms of looking at a, uh, a fantasy ceiling? For Matthew Stafford, through three games, he's got 831 yards, uh, a little less than eight yards per attempt, six touchdowns and two interceptions. So we're talking, what, about 270 yards per game, two touchdowns and a pick. I mean, is this is this who he is? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, and again, the, you know, the, that opener against Arizona, he went for almost 400 and three touchdowns. So there's going to be an occasional game, especially – you know, if they're behind against the Chiefs or some of these other teams where they'll have to open it up and maybe you'll get uh, those games where he's spreading the field and four and five wide. And that's all they're doing is throwing in the second half. But I think for the most part, um, yeah, they want to be around probably 30, 30 passes per game, which he, he had 30 against the Chargers. He had 32 against Philadelphia. And I think that's that's a pretty comfortable zone for them. So that does cap what you're going to get. Uh, week to week. But I think the flip side is he also looks really comfortable in this offense. I think he's playing well. Um, he's got some weapons around him for sure. And they are taking some shots downfield. So 
he's not going to light it up every single week from a fantasy perspective, but I think you're going to get a decent, I think there's a decent floor on him right now just because of how he's playing and what they're asking him to do. Yeah, the last few years we've been you know, basically looking at Stafford as a you know, mid-tier QB2. So a guy who, as you said, has a pretty decent floor and is at least someone who maybe pops up on the stream radar uh, more weeks than not. Is that the same sort of fantasy feeling you're getting out of him this season? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, it's hard. It's tough to tell, you know, sort of week to week. And again, to go back to <laughs> the way the Patriots do it, you know, it's the same thing. It's tough to tell week to week who's going to be the guy there. And even if Tom Brady is going to have a huge game week to week. And I think it's similar here because uh, even for a matchup like the Chiefs, where you're thinking, oh, they're going to have to score a bunch of points. They're going to have to really stay with them. I mean, I think the ideal for them in the Chiefs game is to run the ball 35 times and be super effective and just never let the Chiefs on the field. So um, it's going to be one of those situations where you're kind of eyeballing the matchups each week and seeing um, maybe where they feel they really have a huge advantage throwing the ball or have a huge advantage if they go a little up-tempo. But yeah, I think that that mid-tier QB2 makes sense. Probably a little bump in yards, maybe a little bump in touchdowns from last year, but I don't think we're back to you know, when he was throwing 650, 700 times a season back in, uh, you know, the middle stages of, of his stay in Detroit. Now let's talk about that Chiefs game for a second here. Uh, obviously, the way to do it is exactly what you said. If the, if the Lions are going to somehow remain undefeated, uh, they're probably not going to do it by outscoring the Chiefs in a, in a 38 to 35 sort of game. Uh, how realistic do you think that's going to be for them this Sunday? I think they've got a chance. I mean, the Chiefs have, uh, if you have a vulnerability there, it's really their run defense so far. I think they, you know, they're giving up whatever it is, six, six and a half yards per carry. Some of that's because they just played Lamar Jackson and he got out a couple times. But um, yeah, I think they're a little vulnerable against the run. I think that they're also a little vulnerable against play action. And, and that kind of suits what the Lions have been doing. Stafford's been extremely efficient. As a play action quarterback, you know, this might be maybe this is a TJ Hawkinson bounce back because of that. Maybe they get Danny Amendola involved a lot again if he's healthy. He didn't practice uh, Wednesday, but um, I mean, I think they've got an opportunity to do it. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways, that's why this game is interesting from a Detroit perspective, just to see how far along they are in this process of being a team that can sort of dictate how things go, no matter the the type of offense on the other side of the ball, you know, uh, whether they can be that team that runs the football because they haven't so far. That's really the one thing missing from the start for them. The defense has been pretty good other than really that fourth quarter against Arizona. The offense has has put up some points and, and looked a lot sharper than it did at most points last season, but they haven't been able to run the ball yet. So, you know, if they have the same problem against the Chiefs, it's going to be a long day for them because I don't know that they're – I don't I don't know that they're necessarily built to go out and and win a you know 45 to 42 game. It's a perfect segue, Chris. Perfect segue. You must <laughs> you must do podcasts, right? You must not only be a guest, you must be a guy who regularly does these on your own because that is exactly where I wanted to go next to carry on Johnson. Uh you know, in the fantasy world, 
He's got two touchdowns, one on the ground, one through the air. So that's helped, you know, take some of the focus away from the fact that it's actually been a, a pretty inefficient start to the season for him. 48 carries for just 126 yards. We know he's not going to be a huge part of the passing game. That was something that was going to be a fact coming into the season. But just six targets, has five catches, does have a touchdown uh, through the air and, and 67 yards. Uh, do you have any explanation for the inefficiency thus far in the run game? Yeah, I mentioned a lot of what they've done so far has been sort of the inside zone between the tackles type stuff. And there's a couple things there. A is that because of just sort of uh, how they've been using their formations, it's been a lot of multi-tight end sets, a lot of fullback. You're seeing teams put seven and eight guys in the box a ton. So it's hard to run between the tackles just in general, even when you block things up really well. But also last year, I think carry-on really was at his best when they did the outside zone stuff. And when he was able to bounce to the corner and get around the edge, you just saw that quickness and sort of the vision to beat guys uh, up to the sideline. And he really hasn't had that. He had one run. He tried to bounce out last week and he lost a couple yards. It was not his fault. It just sort of blew up before it even got to him. And other than that, they haven't really tried to push the boundaries uh, a whole lot with him. And I'm kind of curious to see if that's going to continue or if that's one of the adjustments they make, because every once in a while he'll pop one, between the tackles, but uh, that's not necessarily how he's built to be his best. And so I think that that's a huge part of it. And again, just the number of defenders they're seeing there because of how this offense is sort of built. Um, it's tough. It's tough to run between the ta- tackles and they're asking him to run between the tackles a lot. So that's probably the simplest explanation I have. Yeah, the uh, offensive line thus far this season ranks 26th in Football Outsiders Adjusted Line Yards. That is a uh, metric that quantifies basically how much of the running production the offensive line is responsible uh, for. Uh, last year, largely the same group, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, they, they they were 19th in that stat. Uh, do you think that there's any, or I guess maybe the better way to put it is, how do they get better if they do get better in that? Yeah, I mean, it's for the... Five starters from last year. It's uh, Joe Dahl's in there at guard now. They had TJ Lang last year, and Ragnow's Frank Ragnow's moved over to center. So a little bit of a, a shift along the interior. But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of it does go back to the play calling. I, I do think if you, um, th- there are some moments where you can kind of see that it might be working, <laughs> and that's not necessarily you want to be four weeks into the year. You'd like to see a few more of those things clicking. But, uh, as Daryl Bevel has has said himself and said so again this week, you know, they feel like they're close to starting to spring some of these. And I think you can kind of see that. I think there hasn't been a lot of help. You know, I wouldn't say uh, Nick Bowden's been great as a blocker at fullback or T- uh, even TJ Hawkinson has been super effective as a as a blocking tight end so far. And And that's just, you know, those are young guys that you're putting new schemes and trying to figure out what they can do. I think that'll come along. So I do think it's going to get better. I think carry on's a much better back than what we've seen so far. Uh, and again, a lot of it's going to have to do with the type of adjustments they make, because if they can get to the get outside a little bit more, I think that just naturally that works better for his skill set. Um, I don't know that they've been as bad as the numbers necessarily lay out. I think, uh, again, there's some other factors there that are contributing to it, but they obviously have to be much better. And I do think that, that the numbers will come up a little bit, at least for carry. And he's not going to be a 2.8, 3.0 yards per carry guy all season. I don't think. 
we, we talked a little bit about the schedule. You said two and three would have been a nice start. Uh, at least that's what you felt going into the season on paper. Cardinals, Chargers, Eagles, this week the Chiefs. Uh, that uh, should mean, obviously, to uh, any football fan that they've yet to play a division game, and that'll be true again after this week. Uh, Bears, Vikings, and Packers, those defenses all look like they're pretty stout. Do you have any schedule concerns for carry on Johnson in the running game going forward. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's it really the schedule concerns because especially I think, you know, the, the Vikings and the bears, but all three of those defenses are tough. And they, like you said, they still have all six of those games left to play, but they also have, you know, they've got the giants and the Raiders and the Washington and the bucks. So they've got a, a pretty manageable schedule outside of the division after this week. And then a tough, inside the division schedule just because the division's good this year. So um, I, I do think that there are some concerns, but I also think, again, that the, at, at its heart, this offense really wants to be a ball control offense. And Matt Patricia is adamant that when you get into November and December, even though the majority of the games that the Lions will be playing those days will be indoors, he's adamant that you have to be able to run the football to win those games. Uh, and so I don't think that they're giving up in any way on what Kerryon Johnson is going to be doing in this offense. You know, the C.J. Anderson release last week really just hammered home that Kerryon, as long as he's healthy, is going to be the guy who gets a huge majority of the carries. Maybe they work in, you know, Ty Johnson a little bit. But, you know, I think he's going to be a volume back for them as much as they're going to have one. So whether even though the schedule does get tougher, um, I mean, I think that uh, I think there's some opportunities on it there, too. So they're not going away from their run game at any point. That's what they want to do. First and foremost is be able to run the football. They just haven't done it yet. You mentioned the uh, NFC North off to a very good start. Nine, two and one. Uh, you and I are recording this on Thursday morning. So later today, Packers host the Eagles on Thursday night football. If the Packers win that game. A lot of pressure on the uh, on the Lions this week because uh, they don't want to. I don't think anyone wants to be the first team to lose a game to a non division opponent, right? The only losses <laughs> the NFC North has are Bears to Packers and Vikings to Packers. So this team is, or this division, excuse me, is undefeated against non NFC North opponents. Yeah, pretty impressive. And you mentioned those those are two big wins for the Packers early, um, just to get those out of the way and have that two and zero start in a division where. If you can get to four and two or five and one uh, against the NFC North, I think you probably win this division. They're already halfway to that four win mark. So, um, yeah, it's uh, every week's going to be tough in this division. I don't. I, I think that's why it's why it's fun. I think you kind of looked at it at the start of the year, and a lot of people thought the Lions were probably the the worst team headed in, and the you know maybe the Bears took a step back. But I think the way it ended up is that everyone's kind of jumbled here in a a mix where I think you could see any of these teams emerging and, and winning the division. And that's really, I'm sure inside the buildings, that's the mentality everyone has. Um, but it, it's, it sets up for a lot of good matchups down the stretch. The lions host the Packers at the end of the year. It's the, the final week of the season. And uh, three of their last five are within the division. They have the bears on Thanksgiving and they go to Minnesota mm -hmm. the next week. So um, again, it kind of, that, that was one of the reasons why I thought if they got through this opening stretch, in a decent spot, you know, there are three or four games outside the division that they should win. And then if you can just beat the teams within your division, uh, you know, you've got a shot to at least be a wild card team. So I, I do think that they're in an okay spot right now. 
And another great uh, NFC North matchup this week with the Vikings in Chicago to take on the Bears. Going to be a fun division to watch all season. Uh, one more thing on on Johnson before we move on. You hinted at it a little bit already. The vo- volume for him has not been a concern at all this season. Efficiency has, but the guy's been getting his workload. Um, there's no reason to expect that to change, correct? I, you know, Game script could determine if it's 13 carries or 20 carries, but he is the guy running the football for Detroit all season long, right? Yeah, as long as he stays healthy, uh, no question. I mean, I think they'd like to be in that 17, 18 carry per game range, ideally. But, you know, he had 20 last week. And I, again, to go back to the C.J. Anderson release, I think that that took away the only real, quote-unquote, power back they had on this offense. Uh, it took away the guy that you thought maybe would be the, you know, vulture at the goal line if they tried to run the football. That's going to be carrying on Johnson now. I mean, I don't think Ty Johnson's a guy that they're necessarily going to throw into those spots Maybe Paul Perkins sneaks in there every once in a while, but we haven't even seen him on the field with the Lions yet, so I'm not going to jump to that conclusion. Uh, I don't think Nick Bowden's going to get a ton of carries out of the fullback spot. So, yeah, I think this is on Johnson's run game. As long as he stays healthy, they're going to try as much as you can try to keep a guy healthy to do that by limiting the number of touches he has. But this is his run game. He's going to be the starter every week. He's going to be in that 15 to 20 carry range every week. I don't really see that changing at all. All right, let's move on to the pass catchers here. Uh, Kenny Galladay thus far this season, 27 targets, 14 catches, 176 yards, and two touchdowns. The number that jumps out to me, a 26.2% target share. That ranks 14th in the NFL. Marvin Jones, 19 targets, 15 catches, 200 yards, and a touchdown. Had his first big game of the season last week. Uh, Nine targets, six grabs, got in the end zone. 18.4% target share uh, for him. Obviously, uh, these guys are comfortably the one-two, and I think comfortably the one, Galladay, and the two, Jones. Uh, Do you see that target share at all for Galladay changing, or is this going to be a guy who gets a quarter or more of Matthew Stafford's looks this season? I don't really see it changing much. I mean, I guess the only thing you'd be concerned about is that they start to feed TJ Hawkinson more. Like you mentioned, they haven't gotten carry on Johnson involved in the passing game a whole lot. And they have a bunch of backs who are potentially pass catching backs and carry on Johnson and Ty Johnson and JD McKissick, who they brought over from Seattle. So maybe those guys start to creep in there a little bit, but I still think, yeah, like you said, carry or, uh, Kenny Galladay is the number one. It was pretty obvious last year after Marvin Jones got hurt, Galladay really stepped into that role and, and didn't falter at all. This summer, he was great. Definitely looked like the better of those two. Even in week three, you know, he only had two catches, but he had eight targets. And I think the biggest thing that you notice is that those plays where things sort of break down in the pocket and Matthew Stafford's looking to make a play downfield, a lot more of those are starting to go Kenny Galladay's way. And that's usually the the surest sign that a guy's won over Stafford in terms of trust because that – used to be Marvin Jones. It still is in some spots. It used to be Calvin Johnson. I mean, that's usually the guy that is getting those looks is the guy that Matthew Stafford trusts the most. And I think Kenny Galladay's emerged as that weapon for them. So I would expect him, you know, I think uh, there's a very good chance that he's the leader on this team in targets, receptions, yards, and receiving touchdowns when the season's over. Yeah, he uh, certainly has uh, has looked the part thus far uh, this season. And you mentioned that eight targets in week two. Uh, that's the fewest targets he's had in the game. Nine in week one, I think it was. Eight in week two and ten last week. So uh, that's the sort of numbers we like to see from a fantasy perspective. Uh, we talked uh, off the top of the show about this team being 
heavy run being a slow paced team in terms of uh, plays per game. And again, that 55.5% pass rate, uh, 25th in the NFL. Uh, with that being the case and that being the way that this team wants to play generally, what's the realistic ceiling for Kenny Galladay? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that's sort of the difficult thing to figure out. He had a, almost 1,100 yards last year. I would think, you know, somewhere in that range just because of what they are offensively and the other weapons they have, um, you know, that's probably a good spot. I, I don't know that they're going to necessarily have a, you know, 1,500-yard receiver in this offense. Um, but I think the big thing is, does that touchdown number keep going up? You know, he's got two already. He only had five last year, and he's really good on those jump balls. He's really good in the red zone. So I think that's the number you kind of circle and say that could be a big leap. I don't know that he'll go way over, you know, 70 catches and 1,063 yards like he had last year, but that's the one. You could see him going from five touchdowns to 10 or 12 touchdowns for sure. I think uh, if there's a spot for him to really take a leap, that's it. Is Bevel using him at all in a way that he used um, you know, Tyler Lockett or or Doug Baldwin at all? Have you seen any sort of uh, transition for there? Obviously, they're very different players, but has he tried to make him that brand of player in this offense? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that they like about Galladay and that does set him apart from Marvin Jones, and we saw this even last year when it was just Galladay and a bunch of guys they you know signed off the street, is that uh, he's someone that they – like to move around a lot that he hasn't played as much in the slot so far this year, I think because they have Hawkinson because they have Danny Amendola, but it's something that they will do with him. They'll move him inside. Um, they'll get him in motion before the snap, you know, try to get him a little more into space. Marvin Jones is a guy that it, you just know what he is. I think at this point, he's mostly a deep ball guy. He's not going to get a lot of separation for you. You're going to have to fit it into tight windows. That's just the type of player he is. And he's made a, a good career out of it, especially in Detroit. Galladay, I think, is someone that they think is a little better, more natural fit for this offense, just in terms of moving parts around and and working off play action and you know running some of those rub routes to get guys five yard receptions that you hope they take the distance. So uh, I think we are seeing a little bit more of that. I would expect that to continue to go up too as the season goes on, just because I think he does have that diverse skill set that really sets him apart from Marvin Jones. Jones uh, had his first big game last week uh it didn't really do much the first two weeks uh you've sort of hinted at it already and we don't have to spend too much time here but uh in the fantasy world he feels like pretty much a boomer bust guy not someone you're going to trust every single week is there something you're seeing on the ground there in Detroit that suggests otherwise or do we have that pegged pretty good no I think that's probably accurate I mean I think he he has had a decent start he had four catches the first week five in week two six last week so I, I still think that there's going to be a decent number of targets for him, but uh, those games like last week, the, yeah, that was that's not going to be happening. I don't think on a regular basis necessarily. You might get four or five of them throughout the year because I still think he's a guy who could be a thousand yard receiver. But um, yeah, Galladay's the one. The run game's the focus. Hawkinson, I think, will have more weeks that uh, he's involved than that he's not involved. So there's only so many passes to go around for Marvin Jones, and I think that that. That's pretty much what he is at this point. All right, let's talk about that rookie tight end, TJ Hawkinson. He got a lot of people in the fantasy world excited after week one. Uh, obviously, the touchdown was a little bit fluky of a play, sort of a, a breakdown from the Arizona defense. Uh, two catches total uh, the last couple of games, one apiece in week two and week three. Uh, what's, the, what's the rest of season outlook for TJ Hawkinson? 
I I think, you know, week one obviously set a pretty high bar. I don't know that that's going to happen too often, but I, I also think that weeks two and three are, I think there's going to be a, a, a pretty low number of those. I think he's still involved in the passing tech. You know, they, they still threw to him four times last week. They gave him a shot in the red zone. Uh, you know, he had one that I think he'd probably tell you he should have caught. It would have been a touchdown um, and ended up instead with one catch for one yard. So uh, it, it was sort of a thin line between a, a decent day and and the day he had. But I, I think that um, just given the way he runs his routes, the way they're using him, and like I said, as much as they want to use play action and sort of suck in those second level of defenders and then uh, get Hawkinson into the gaps behind him, that there's going to be a lot more work for him moving forward some of that's contingent on the run game for sure you know if they're not running the ball it's hard to use the play action as much but I, I think he's going to have a good year um you know I started the season I sort of thought like somewhere in the uh, like 600 yard uh maybe four or five touchdown range was good for him and I think that's probably still where I'd guess he winds up when all's said and done you know I, there might be a another 100 yard game in there somewhere but um I think probably in between what we saw in week one, what we've seen the last two, two weeks is where he's going to be most of the time, you know, three, four catches for 50 yards and maybe he gets a shot or two in the red zone. How often are they asking him to be an extra blocker on pass plays? I mean, how, how much of his potential volume is being lost to the fact that he's, you know, the sixth guy on the line there? I think he's losing a little bit. Um, Some of that is a reaction to week one because, you know, Taylor Decker had such a bad first week and Rick Wagner struggled. And then Decker was out. They had to start Tyrell Crosby on the left side. So they just needed a little more help there to feel comfortable. But uh, I think in general, it's probably just a handful of snaps per game moving forward where we'll see that. And most of it would be when, um, you know, they're in three receiver sets and Danny Amendola is in the slot and and they want to keep an extra guy in to help. I think uh, when they have multiple tight ends on the field, Jesse James is going to be that guy most of the time who stays in to help. Uh, and more often than not, they're going to want to get Hawkinson into those pass routes, put him out in the slot, get him on a linebacker or safety and and let him go to work. That's really what they drafted him for. Like the blocking is a bonus, I think. Uh, you know, it's expected, especially in the run game, but they want him to be that guy who kind of stretches the seam and, and opens some things up over the middle of the field that they didn't have last year. So that's still going to be the primary role for him moving forward. All right, Chris, we've uh, we've hit on all the key guys here, Stafford, Carrion, the receivers, Hawkinson, uh, the, the bevel and everything that's changed there. So I think we're pretty good. I just got one more question to uh, to ask you here. Give me a prediction for what happens against the Chiefs on Sunday. I, I think it's going to look a lot like uh, when the Lions played the Rams last year, really. I think that's sort of what I have in my mind, which is they do a decent job of kind of grinding the game down and, and limiting the possessions and getting into the fourth quarter close. I just think that Kansas City offense is so good and so fast that it's going to eventually uh, kind of wear them down when when Mahomes has the ball. So I'll say like, uh, let's say like 27, 21 chiefs. I think it's a good game though. I think it's entertaining. I think even with a loss that the lions might come out of there feeling all right about themselves. All right. Uh, you're a little bit more optimistic on the lions than, uh, than most people who I've asked about this game <laughs> so far this week. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's on, no one's picked them yet. Right. 
Uh, oh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Most people are thinking, you know, reality check time. Yeah, well, that usually means that they're about to pull an upset. That's usually how it happens in the <laughs> NFL. Because as soon as everyone picks the other team, uh, <laughs> you get the upset. But yeah, I mean, All I think right. it'll be a good one. Well, like you said, uh, it's it's got to be fun uh, up there in Detroit uh, having a signature game. Uh, this It's funny to say this late into the season, but uh, <laughs> right. it feels like by week four, the last few years, we've been able to write them off. So to get KC coming to Detroit, get a little bit of a signature game, get uh, you know one of the one of the big games of the week. That's got to be fun up there. And whatever happens against the Chiefs, uh, it's, a, it's a good measuring stick. We know that for sure. Uh, Chris Burke. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here on Podcast by Committee. Again, you can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Burke, B-U-R-K-E, NFL. And definitely check out his Prospects to Pros podcast here at The Athletic with Dane Brugler, where they go over NFL draft talk, a free episode on Tuesday, iTunes, Spotify, whatever, and then one just here at The Athletic on Thursday. If that's not a carrot to sign up for a subscription, I don't know what is. Theathletic.com slash podcast by committee. You'll get yourself 40% off a yearly subscription if you check that out. Chris, thanks again for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. appreciate it. And listeners, thank you for listening uh, here on Thursday. So uh, NFL uh, week four begins tonight with the Packers and the Eagles. Enjoy that game. Have a great weekend. Uh, we've got plenty more fantasy podcasts coming your way the rest of the week. A rankings update tomorrow and a waiver wire update tomorrow. So check those out. Until then, have a great day. We'll talk to you later. This has been Podcast by Committee here at The Athletic.